0: host. With that in mind, I just wanted to let everyone know that Alex has left the podcast. Uh, We did part amicably amicably as friends over creative differences, Uh, but I will be continuing the podcast uh, as I search for another co-host. With that in mind, uh, a couple housekeeping things. If you'd like to support our show and the content that we are creating, please sign up on our Patreon. We've got a bunch of different tiers where you can get some added Benefits like monthly coaching, tokens, or getting access to our episode early. In addition, you can follow us on our socials on Twitter. It's Trigger on Stack. We also have a spread shop if you're looking for some MTG merch. I decided to make some shirts because I could never find ones that I liked. And so feel free to check that out as well. To continue on with our episode, we are going to be talking about modern post Lord of the Rings. With me, I have two special guests, Stan and Tommy. Hello. What's up? Thanks for being on the show. really appreciate both of you being here. Let's get into, right on into it, the tournament update from the Energy 10K. I played Living End. I copied CCR's list uh, to the T and went down to 14 lands, bringing in the Mountain Cycler and the Forest Cycler and ended up going two and three. Didn't have a great day. But I will tell you that the deck just feels incredible, way faster, way more consistent, less of me drawing living ends, more of land on turn three, very consistently. Deck feels really, really good. I also had a Pioneer RCQ this past weekend where I scrubbed out, went over to a local game shop for our Pioneer there, and ended up getting 3-0. The day went with me facing Bring to Light twice, I was on Enigmatic Fires, faced Is It Drakes and Phoenix. The hard thing about Bring to Light is that it has the ability to break the mirror matchup because of Valky exiling Elishnorn. It's kind of like who can land Elishnorn first, keep it on the battlefield, wins the game. And Valky does kind of break what feels like a mirror matchup there. Other than that, right, we're preparing for the 10K. Stan, you and I are gonna do the 10K. Team event next weekend where I will be on Enigmatic Fires. And, you know, I was expecting Rakdos, a lot of Monogreen testing. These are decks that we're not going to see in any capacity at this 10k. There may be one person on Bring to Light or one person that might try Phoenix, but those are both like one percenters, less than one decks. So brush it off and I'm doing a lot of playtesting this week. Let's get into post Lord of the Rings. You both play Modern much more than I do. And, you know, I'm pretty much just a dirty living end player to keep up <laughs> uh, in in Modern. But with, you know, it being a few weeks now of us having the cards, we're seeing Orcish Bowmaster, we're seeing a ton of the One Ring. Are you guys excited for how the format is shaking up? Let's
1: talk about it. Well, there's definitely a lot happening. I think we can all agree on that.
2: Yeah, yeah 100%.
1: Pretty obvious at this point, Ring, Bowmasters, a little bit of Delighted Halfling in there. All those are going to be really impactful. Frank, since we're already on the topic, I'm kind of curious with the Living End deck. You, know, you said it feels a lot better. Um, you mentioned you know, some of the, the things that do feel different. One thing I'm curious about is if you kept track of this, did the Mulliganing feel different?
0: No. and Well, the Mulliganing feels different only in the sense of like, if I have one land and one of the land cyclers... It's almost a hard keep every time, whereas that was not the case on the previous Living End list.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I've been actually testing your list a lot online, the one that you copied, um, because I couldn't get one rings on Mana Traders, unfortunately, but playing Living End to like multiple 4-1s, and when I was mulliganing, it kind of felt like playing Tron where or even Old Dredge, where you could just like mulligan and go to like 5 and you're comfortable because all you need is one land realistically and that formerly was pretty scary for living in where i'd be playing some matchups and i have two lands and i'm like okay this is fine but i have to draw into maybe a cascader and a third land and you just never get the third land because you're not guaranteed it um but how how would that feel for you frank yeah i agree with that completely i think The biggest
0: issue that the deck had was you want to get to three lands consistently every time, and then all of your dreams come true. So most of the time when you were cycling aggressively, it was to hit your land drops. So that has just been eliminated, and even cutting down on the lands makes it feel great because I also am never drawing living end with one of those cards. And that sometimes was the unfortunate part about just trying to rip through cyclers to hit your land drops
2: yeah i should add that um in addition to that having hands with a seven or six that has a living end in it feels a lot less bad now because you really do want to be griefing consistently like a turn one grief feels so good right now in living end in. and to follow up on that because living end is obviously the best card to pitch besides maybe architects but you really want to be cycling that if possible if you can get like two, three guys in the graveyard, you can just rip a Living End and or a Cascade, rather, and just go. Uh, Oliphant is so powerful with the Trample and then the plus two Trample attack trigger, giving the bonus to somebody else. One of the things, too, with these cyclers that you
0: had mentioned even before I went to this 10k tournament, you were like, these cards are really going to matter because Generous and giving food, that three life is game changer in the burn matchup and i faced burn twice at the 10k and that food did matter in both of those games and that's what's crazy about these commons is that both of the abilities on the cards the plus 20 to something else in trample and you know generous and giving a
1: food has felt relevant in certain matchups yeah i got to say as someone that typically plays against living end uh one of the scariest things now is how much more threatening your small living ends are. Whereas in the past, like you, you know, two, three creatures in the graveyard, you cascade, maybe there's a chance I can wipe a couple creatures, rebuild. Now it's like you put Olafant, two creatures in play, and that is either a one or two turn clock.
0: Yeah. The cards, right? If you were cycling uh, architects or curator of mysteries, three threes, four fours. The addition of Generous Ent being a 5-7 and Oliphant being a 6-4 does make the game feel like, oh, I will probably... My living ends have been more lethal quickly
2: than they've been before because there's just more power on board. Even through blockers, honestly, I played a league online where 14 land living end deck, somehow I drew like all of them. I fetched four times, land cycled multiple times, had like eight, nine lands in play, I think. I can't remember how many the list plays, but I had to attack multiple times into so many blockers that were like 5-5 five, five Constructs or whatever from Urza Saga. And just the, the attack trigger giving your 5-5 five, five Hexproof Serpent, plus two Trample, Trample on the Oliphant. Okay, we're going to trade, but you're going to hate it. And then I'm going to Living in again, and you're going to hate it. It just gets there.
0: Yeah, I have had a couple of games as well where like, I will Living End off of the Cascade from Shardless Agent. And that's a 2-2 that usually doesn't swing well into anything. But then it becoming a 4-2 Trampler with Oliphant has also been like, this is now a useful body, as opposed to being like, thank you for getting me my Cascade, now sit back and block.
2: Yeah, and Grieve has Menace too, so the 6-Power grief Trampler with Menace, it's just going to get there. Yeah, absolutely. The only part about the deck that I've found
0: to be CCR kind of being like the living end guy on Twitter and winning an RCQ with living end talks about a lot of the cards in the deck or in the previous version of the deck, like Brazen Borrower or some lists that are on Sky Turtle are only for you to have the ability to fight off hate pieces. And now it's the deck feels faster, more consistent, but it's like I will either do the thing, but I outside of the sideboard cards, I don't have a, a good way of fighting off a lot. Like in my Hammer Time matchup, I won game one, lost game two off of the Ink Moth Nexus being double equipped. I tried to force a Vigor. They Their one card in hand was Surge of Salvation. We go to game three, they drop a Drannith on two and drop another Drannith on three. And I went, cool. Now, the one ottawara that I had to dig for, try and get out of this game, cannot hit both of those things. I have lost.
2: Yeah, it is rough. I mean, if somebody has multiple hate pieces against you in sideboarding, it can still feel kind of bad. It wasn't really my experience on moto, but it's possible my opponents just didn't have the right sideboard pieces in hand. Because like you said, how fast the deck is. So I think overall, like living end is still a big winner, especially with the main board grief, main board force negation, main board Orewara. If you get explosives out of the sideboard and stuff like that, I assume what will end up happening is living End sideboards will just adapt to how they're getting hated out and have more sideboard tech that's like either go wide or speed up the plan even more. Yeah.
0: I I would agree that I absolutely think that post Lord of the Rings this deck is definitely a winner of some of these cards. I think that I also agree that they probably will find ways to try and play around hate pieces. Like if elementals, and I don't, Tommy, you'd probably be able to speak better to the new elementals list than I will. But if we keep seeing a lot more endurance pop into the main board, that might mean that Living in has to try and find a slot for Subtlety so that when you do Cascade and they go to Endurance, you have the ability to Subtlety the Endurance away. But, you know, that's kind of to be seen in coming weeks.
1: Yeah, and that's definitely, I, honestly, I think the deck, if it can find room, will probably move towards Subtlety anyway. Cause we can get to this a bit later, but speaking of the four-color deck, especially with delighted Lighted Halfling in the format now, we're going to be seeing a lot of Teferis. And now they can start coming down on turn two. Sometimes Living End could just kill you in response to Teferi, but they can't do that on turn two.
0: Yeah, you kind of made my spine shiver when you said Teferi on two
2: as the- Uncounterable.
1: Yeah, as a Living End player, I was like, oh. Yeah, those Force negations aren't going
2: to do as much when it's uh, an Uncounterable Teferi. I mean, as a Tron player, I'm excited for Delighted Halfling. Seeing Eldrazi Tron decks already start picking it up, I have been considering trying to make it work in Big Tron. I'm just not sure if it would get there. Potentially, if Crying the Great Creator was banned, it would be playable, but then that's another Legendary that you're not getting to Uncounterable cast early, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Well,
0: I think that we've spent plenty of time, probably, on Living End. Let's get into the One Ring, the different decks that's being played in, Delighted Halfling, like just baseline. Tell me about decks that you kind of see rising to the top, and in addition, just cards that you're excited for, additional archetypes like... Where where are we at now in the meta being a few weeks into
1: LOTR? Yeah. Well, I think before we get to that, just to reel it back a little bit, as we alluded to, I think the biggest card from this side is definitely the one ring. Real quick to go over it. Anybody that hasn't been playing Modern or has only seen the card in the spoiler but hasn't played with it yet, you know, it might look a little mopey. So it's you know, your classic four mana artifact. Comes in, if you cast it on ETB, you get protection from everything uh, until your next turn. And then you tap it, put a burden counter on it, and then for each burden counter on it, you draw a card. On your upkeep, you lose a life for each burden counter. So at its face, it seems like kind of a slow, grindy card draw engine. Almost forgot, because this card has a lot of text. Also indestructible, very hard to deal with. What you might not realize until you actually play with the card is the way the the play patterns kind of come out You play the card, get your protection, unless your opponent's doing something really specific, basically a time warp. Get your your other turn, draw a card, untap, lose one life, then it's your turn again. Don't have protection, but now you can tap and draw two cards. So you've spent four mana, only lost one life, fogged them for a turn, drawn three cards. And that's just at its base, and it just gets crazier from there.
0: Yeah, and one thing that you didn't mention that is also important on the text of the card is that it is legendary. So if you are losing too much life from it, that's why so many lists are playing multiples to just go, oh, legend rule. Now I have a new one. Let's start this over again. And as a living end player, when we uh, were playtesting Stan, it felt terrible for me to be like, okay, I'm gonna violent outburst on the end of your turn. And you went one ring and I went, cool. I'm gonna take a turn off, then we'll come back.
2: Yeah, I should also mention the uh, Delighted Halfling, since we didn't read the text for that, um, is a one mana, mana dork, obviously. It taps for colorless, which is not insignificant, as I mentioned earlier with Aldrazi Tron playing it. But the mana that it makes for any color for legendary creatures, or sorry, not legendary creatures, that was my point. The mana that it makes is for legendary spells of any color. So those spells are uncounterable now. And the ring being legendary has also had an impact with that, where people are just like, turn three ring, it's uncounterable. I'm going to get the Teferi's Protection. I'm going to start drawing cards. And you're going to feel bad, because the only thing worse than four mana ring is three mana ring. Yeah, I, I can tell you that if
0: that's the case, and Elementals is up on this with Fury, I will be glad again to not be playing Yardmoth. Because if there are, is more Fury in the format, I, as a Yawgmoth or former Yawgmoth player, describe.
1: I think we'll get to it in a little bit, but you might not have to put Yawgmoth down as quick as you think. Um, but once we get into some of the other decks, have seen some rumblings with Yawgmoth met- messing around with some Lord of the Rings cards.
2: Oh. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Orcish Bowmasters has been a big hit in Yawgmoth, um, almost as much as Legacy is enjoying it. <laughs>
1: well, not just Bowmasters, but you know what deck really loves? One mana, mana dorks. That's a good point, too. It makes your Grist and your Yawgmoth uncounterable. And while you're at it, you can put another four mana card in your deck and then play the one ring in Yawgmoth as well. It
2: doesn't even look recognizable. My poor young wolf lad... I just want to play my young wolves, okay? Let me be. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny seeing them cut persist creatures for like, well, the combo is really like nice, but I'd rather have much more consistency in a mid range game plan.
1: I do have to put a caveat on that. The list that Stan's probably referring to, there was a list that won a challenge that was cutting the Strangle Root Geists. Uh, definitely a don't try it at home kind of list. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, that was the player Zerk, who's a very well, well experienced Yawgmoth mm-hmm. grinder. So for everybody that isn't them, might want to stick with your more traditional list, but definitely keep an eye on what they're doing.
2: Definitely. Yeah. It's not uh, an easy list to play already. And the lines and play patterns are just going to get infinitely more complicated now that we're adding all these cards to the mix. Yeah. We've talked about One Ring. We've talked about some of its
1: applications, but what decks are playing it right now? Honestly, it's every deck that someone on Moto can get a hold of the One Ring. They're kind of just jamming it in everything. It's best homes look to be big mana decks. So things like Tron, Amulet, to some degree four color, because you can make a lot of mana with Omnath. And then anything that has a way to abuse it. So anybody that likes Bruise, Aspiring Spikes, eight key deck, or the Twiddle Storm decks, very good with it, because you can get multiple activations. I've even seen people playing, quote unquote, combo merfolk using Meryl Regery to untap your rings. Basically, if you can do anything with it, or if you can cast it, you're probably going to at least try it in the
2: deck. Yeah, assuming it doesn't hurt your game plan, you're going to want it to stabilize against decks like Archon of Cruelty. So, like, obviously Living in can't play it, well, that we've seen. Archon of Cruelty decks and uh, Double Creativity decks haven't been picking it up yet. I'm assuming it's because they can't fit it in.
1: And also, you flip into it off your creativity.
2: Oh, yes, apologies. <laughs> That's why. So, the um, the wondering is so good against them specifically, For decks that were just lagging behind, it felt like... I really think it felt like the One Ring gave these Tier 2, Tier 3 decks like a boost. And the Tier 1 decks that couldn't play it were like, well, we were already winning anyway, so at least we have more of a challenge or something. And I felt, at least for the Elementals
0: list, I think I played against it this week, or maybe it was in our playtesting. No, I think it was playing against you this week. Yeah, we we definitely played this week. Yeah, the ability to play Omnath and the one ring at the same time, the four life from Omnath hitting a land pretty much negates all the counters that you have on one ring and the life that you're losing. And in those decks that have a ton of ETB triggers and the more elementals you're playing, the more value you're getting, an easier way to draw into all of that just felt
1: really, really gross. Yeah, any of the decks that have ways to make use of all the extra cards they're drawing, so like I said, big mana, or it's also really good for combo decks that can support it, like we were talking about Yawgmoth. The Breach combo deck has been popping back up a little bit playing it, just adds a really good kind of backup plan, whereas before you'd have to find something else, like those decks would use Urza Saga and try to get there with Beatdown. Now you can just put a ring in play, draw a bunch of cards, and if you have a combo in, in your deck, you can probably figure it out from there.
2: Yeah, by Breach, Underworld Breach. And in my head, when he said Breach, I was thinking of Through the Breach because I was also seeing a lot more Scape pop up, especially in my on- online testing, where um, in talking with people outside about what they thought about certain decks coming up, Scape kept coming up because it just doesn't have a really good turn four, or turn three play when they get their four mana. I mean, obviously you're not going to Scape Shift with no lands. So like that's their four drop, right? But they don't really have a good turn three play after they got four lands. And that is like, perfect for them to just go it's almost like what remand was in Splinter twin to a smaller degree where you're like i'm gonna get my extra turn i'm gonna draw some cards i'm gonna get to my combo and you're gonna feel really bad yeah we've talked about
0: all the lists that are playing it now what do you think is going to rise to the top like what do you think is going to become i know it's not in our show notes to have kind of like a tier list and we've talked a little bit amongst ourselves about different tier lists that we've seen but off the top of your head, what do you guys think some of the higher
1: tier decks are going to be in the next few weeks? I mean, I think kind of at a baseline, like sort of level zero, for, a, for lack of a way, better way to say it, um, Living End, obviously, is where a lot of people are going to go, I think. I think even a lot of Rhinos players might move to Living End. You know, the four-color Elementals deck looks like a pretty solid bet, as well as Tron picking back up, I think that's going to be more fringe, but I think we'll probably see a little bit more of it than we expect. And I think the creativity decks can probably still stick around. I They definitely don't like playing against the ring, but they have a lot of good cards in there. Um, and then besides that, you know, a lot of people have been talking about Scam still being around. I haven't had a chance to play with it with some of the updated lists yet, but I know, Stan, you were saying it's been real good for you.
2: Yeah, well, we were playtesting uh, yesterday for the NRG team trios. Rakdos initially felt like a list that on paper was like a loser because the one ring is kind of good against it. But then when we were playing, it actually kind of feels like the one ring isn't good against it because of the bird encounters actually coming up a lot. So Rakdos play patterns, at least for me as a Tron player, felt like I can get to the one ring and turn you off of killing me for a turn. And then you just pass it back to me, either hold up a bow, a bolt or an Orcish Bowmaster, bow or you already have like a Great Fury in play, or you can just play a Blood Moon and then pass it back. These bird encounters are killing me. The bolts are going to kill me. And if I try to cantrip my way out of it with the One Ring, Orcish Bowmaster is going to kill me even harder. So I'm not sure if um, Rakdos is going to get worse, but in testing, it feels like it got better. Just to continue on this
0: conversation, I want to take a step back. I don't know the text off the top of my head can one of you for those right people aren't going to be seeing this what is the text of orcish
1: bowmasters off the top of my head it's one in a black for a one one goblin orc i want to say i believe a goblin orc yeah yeah when he etbs uh, deal one damage to any target and you amass orcs one which amass one uh you make an army token in this case because it's a max orcs you make an orc army token if that's ever relevant then you put a 1 1 counter on it for the amount that you're amassing. And then, whenever an opponent draws a card that isn't the card they draw for turn, I believe. Yeah. It's not second card. It's just right. if it's, it's not their it's card. Right. It's crazy. For turn,
2: yeah, you can't even draw yeah. on their turn. Then
1: you get to trigger it again. So you deal mm. another damage and then get to amass one again. And this is for each time they would draw a card.
0: And it does have flash. Am I right? Yes. 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 Flash. Flash. Which also makes it very important. That makes very it important. brutal. But. And I've played a, get a lot against Tommy. Thank you for giving us the text on Orcish Bowmasters. I played against a lot against Tommy on Scam. What role is Scam, Orcish Bowmasters, playing in Scam? Because up until the last day or two, I had no idea that they were slotting that card into that deck.
1: So it looks like currently, the lists that have been doing well, were originally trying to replace the Doffy slot, but now, they are just using it to supplement the two-drop slot. So now you have your four Dothy Voidwalkers and four Bowmasters. Some of the lists are cutting some different things, but mostly just trimming on removal to make room for it. And it kind of just shifts the curve of the deck lower now. You don't need to play as many three-drops. Previously, you could, if you wanted to, play up to eight. Now you only have to play like four to six. And then you have now eight cards to follow up your turn one threat as opposed to just the Dothies
2: yeah scam got a discount <laughs> and it was already cheating on its pain. oh man it's pretty brutal honestly because orcish bowmaster it doesn't necessarily give them any card advantage it doesn't add like um i'm trying to think like a r set where it denies you draws off of your second draw you're going to just get out resource them the amass just starts mattering so much if you can't get rid of that token if they even just get you on four draws you're looking at like what Urza Saga was trying to do after three Saga counters, and then just one damage, one damage, one damage. If you're using a one ring, this is going to just start adding up, and the pain is real. Yeah. Plus, I don't. Does the list play Bolt? Was the list playing Bolt, Tommy? So,
1: depending on the list, they were either playing some number of bolts, or Fatal Push, or a mix. At least the list I've seen most recently doing well actually cut all the one mana removal to make room for the Bowmasters.
0: Got it. I was just thinking of the life total mattering and them getting a lot lower from orcish bowmasters and then maybe bolt being better but it makes sense to me that they might cut some of the one mana removal for orcish bowmasters because it's still pinging and making a body
2: yeah one of the more annoying play patterns that you're going to start seeing is oh my opponent has uh, a fetch land up well now i have to time my cantrips for whenever they're going to have two mana for a Bowmaster in response to my draw. Kind of like how you play around Stifle and Legacy with when you would crack your fetch land. Right, and
0: that matters a lot for living end if you're not using the land cyclers because the land cycling is putting a land in your hand versus normal cycling is you discard a card, draw a card, and so it will be a lot of fetching in response to them, or I'm sorry,
2: cycling in response to them fetching yeah and not just that but like as soon as they have uh the two mana you're like well i'm just gonna crack it on their end step and if they have it they have it and you can try to sequence it where you if you maybe have two or three mana out you're like do one let it resolve see what happens go for the rest of them it's obviously easier to do something like that on moto but a lot of people in paper will shortcut and i strongly suggest especially if you're playing in a tournament competitively stop shortcutting against scam you're really going to want to take your turn slowly their early game turns matter even more than they did before That's a good take it's also
1: even though it makes a token weirdly good against teferi because if they decide to down downtick their teferi and bounce the token then the bowmaster just deals one to it and kills their teferi
2: yeah that's a good point actually i i haven't seen that play pattern because i haven't been playing teferi but that's actually really scary because they're never going to bounce the other guy and then let you do it again that's that's um insane.
0: All right, one deck that we haven't talked about or an LTR card that we haven't talked about that I've seen in some decks is this new sacrifice list with Samwise. What do you guys think about it? What is it
2: doing? Is it good? Uh, specifically, it's Samwise GG right? Uh,
1: yeah, uh, Samwise pull the card? Gamgee.
2: Gamgee, I'm so sorry. Um, Lord of the Ring fans, I'm sorry. Don't come after us. My employees put the movies on every day in the store and I still can't be bothered to remember all their names. So, real quick, the card is green and a
1: white for a legendary creature, Halfwing Peasant, 2-2. When another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, create a food token. And then you can sacrifice three foods to return target Historic card from a graveyard to your hand. So, that's any artifact, legendary, or saga.
2: Yeah. That's just the story. Yeah, they're trying to get their one rings back over and over after they keep sacrificing them and get rid of the, get rid of the bird encounters. Real nice. I mean, the deck is kind of cute. It is fun personally i like food i think it's a really fun archetype and mechanic it was kind of nice to see modern horizons 2 kind of give us that shell and where we went with facing troll king and green black food etc what are your thoughts on it tommy
1: i was just gonna say
2: we should probably mention what the combo is real quick oh that's a good point yeah go ahead and hit the combo
1: so importantly if you have samwise in play a free sacrifice outlet and then a cauldron familiar either in play or in your graveyard. If it's in the graveyard, you need a food to start this off, but you can return the cat, get a food from Samwise triggering, sacrifice the cat, use it to bring the cat back, keep looping that, and then drain your opponent out. Notably, because of the way protection from everything works, this does kill through your opponent having the One Ring, which is a point in this deck's favor. Stan, I know you were talking and you're testing, it didn't seem that great, but I think if this deck is gonna stick around, that's probably going to be why.
2: Yeah, 100% agreed, actually. The only thing scary about the deck is that combo. Because like you said, it beats the Wondering. And uh, the cards that you're mentioning are all pretty cheap, pretty easy to play. It's almost like the old Kitchen Finks Persist decks where they were sacrificing with Visericere. Visericere is already a pretty good card if you're going to be doing free stack outlet stuff. So why not scry along with it? Find your combo. That was always the best version of the lists that I played against on Moto was the Abzen ones. Um, a lot of them are trying to go wide, trying weird stuff. I've even seen some people playing Lunas Cryptozoologist. Um, unfortunately, I was only testing with Living End online, so I didn't get to feel how it went with Tron. Maybe Tron's a little too slow and they can combo me out a lot faster. But with Living End, a lot of games just came down to nothing in their board scared me. And if it ever did, I was ready to rip a violent outburst if I hadn't already done it and killed them anyway. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense to me.
0: It doesn't sound like it's a deck that probably will stick around in the long term, but it may be a good solution or at least something for people to brew around if they're trying to play around the one ring.
1: Yeah, and I think kind of the general shell of the combo obviously plays really good with the food decks. And as we've seen previously, like the Asmo food genre has been a pretty wide set of decks. So it's possible there is something out there. I, you know, if you want to put money on like sleeper PT decks for the the Pro Tour coming up, I could see maybe someone figures out a specific build of it that's really strong, but I don't think it gives enough to the food decks to make it like a consistent player. That makes a lot of sense to me. And this also wasn't something that's in our show notes, but
0: I wanted to talk about it is that with the PT coming, and this is the I believe,
1: correct me if I'm wrong, the first PT that is modern, first one in a while anyway, in a long time. At least with the like current version of Organized Play, I believe. Yes.
0: And I was listening on a podcast where I was actually listening to them talk about enigmatic fires to try and prepare for the energy this weekend that they were talking about playtesting groups and how to get ready for this seeing that, you know, not a lot of these players are up in modern. Playing with people like Aspiring Spike, who that's all that Spike plays practically is modern. And so I think that what deck lists are going to come from the Pro Tour are going to be really interesting, might not be great for like the long term, because right, we have to remember that they are trying to tech for each other and tech for something specific. So sometimes their decks are aimed at something in particular that might not be great for. RCQs or the
2: normal LGS meta, but I am interested to see how some of these PT decks shake out. Yeah, that's a good point that you mentioned that because a lot of times at the Pro Tour, their meta is like really in a bubble. And so... Within that, they'll have these weird sideboard cards or even just weird deck choices where you're like, oh my god, I can't believe the guy's playing that deck. Well, in this bubble, it's actually not bad, especially if you're Reed Duke or whomever that's going to play the deck at like 99 out of 100 efficiency um, all day. I was going to ask, though, because I don't remember when the last Modern Pro Tour was. Was it the one where they brought the Draw Discard deck with Burning Inquiries? Is that when the last Modern Pro Tour was?
1: It's been long enough. I don't even remember off the top of my head.
2: I generally can't remember, but that deck specifically comes to mind for me where they were playing Goblin Lore and Burning Inquiry with um, the K cards to just go crazy with Hollow One. That's the deck, Hollow One. Yeah, and that deck came out of nowhere. I know we had people over here by us playing it before the pro tour but it was like kind of this cute thing that was niche nobody really expected it and then it just showed up at the pro tour and was crushing and everybody was really excited about it the deck list was all fleshed out and the pro tour is just like the most exciting way to see like a new deck list come out of if 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 it's going to come from nowhere one of these guys is going to brew it
1: yeah that's kind of what i think would happen with the samwise deck if it does pop up because especially decks like that if it's going to show up at the PT, it's because they've tested it and they've found a specific build of it that they really like for the field.
2: Yeah, right. It's either that or they're going to just have um, just play tested enough with the best minds to just find that one niche card. I mean, Modern is a huge format, guys. You got to remember, like, there are decks we still haven't discovered that just come out of nowhere or a card like Samwise comes out and now Food is like, well, I have even more options between Asmore, Samwise, Urza Saga is still in play, i mean witch's oven was strong enough to get banned in the standard so like it's a pretty powerful interaction and then viscera seer was already doing really hot things before i'm not surprised if it makes a comeback i can see it and i'm excited for what's to come
0: in modern with the pro tour and maybe eventually i will grow up to a different deck but at least for the time being with living and being as good as it is and just my involvement in other formats, I'm for sure going to stick on Living End for
2: a little while longer. I have nothing wrong with that, man. Living End? I, I, I simp for Living End, honestly. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> First of all, it's such a cool, it's a cool deck. It's a really cool archetype, just like the whole bin everything and put it all into play kind of um gameplay style that is unique to it, its own thing but for the longest time it was just like a nothing deck like nobody played living in for the longest time and now that it's finally playable people are going to complain about it it's like hey man your champion gets buffed or nerfed now is the time for living in just let them ride it out and then eventually some insane graveyard hate piece comes out and now you can't even play like normal graveyard interactions let alone a living End deck yeah we talked a little bit, or to get
0: into our next segment, let's talk a little bit about what we think will be banned, or like what, right, with the shakeup in this format, with bands being right around the corner. What do you think for modern is potentially problematic? And even for other formats, what is problematic or something that we might anticipate
2: moving forward? I think the biggest problem for me is that the one ring isn't legal in Pioneer. <laughs> No, 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 no. (laughs) But speaking of that, yes, thank God this is a Modern Horizons uh, set, if you will, so that none of these cards, even Delighted Halfling, which may not be that great in Modern, it might be just like a good enough card but not like amazing, would be, in my opinion, insane in Pioneer. Or even some of the food guys, just crazy in Pioneer, if you look at the power level difference. Uh, What about you, Tommy?
1: Um, I mean... (sighs) It's, it's tough to say, especially with the PT coming up. I know a lot of people, after playing with it, seeing all the hype, seeing the one ring be like 150 ticks on Magic Online. A lot of people's gut reaction is that the card should be banned. I don't think Wizards would want to do anything until the Pro Tour. And I think it's definitely possible that the format kind of warps or shifts in a way where the ring is really strong but not ban-worthy. I'm kind of just waiting to make my judgment on it until the PT happens.
0: I think it's really reasonable. It's very new in the format. But one thing that we got wrong, at least on the podcast, was that, ah, eh, we think some of these cards will be played. Not sure. Totally, totally wrong. I mean, even with Delighted Halfling and seeing some of the jokes on Twitter towards living end players being like, if you want to scare a living end player, and it was on 2, with the lighted halfling like Teferi coming down a turn earlier is already
1: like I think that's good oh I'm definitely the one that sent you that tweet
2: yes (laughs) yes you did I mean that's going to start mattering a lot because um for me playing Tron a lot of matchups unfortunately feel like the die roll dependent matchup where like Mm -hmm. okay you you won the die roll I now have to get lucky to get this game or try to beat you in sideboards and you don't get the sideboard with Karn the Great Creator, so now I have to get really lucky. And that might start happening with Living End too, where if you're playing against a Delighted Halfling Teferi deck, or even just like Blue Light Control with Mainboard Force Negations, you could get hosed if you don't get the 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 ability to go first and then start forcing some early Living Ends out. Because like Tommy said earlier, if you Violent outburst in response to a Teferi, you can just still win. Now you have to have at least minimum Oliphant plus a guy to like, put a turn two clock out. Yeah. Um, with that being said, though, I'm not sure if the one ring will get banned. I agree with Tommy. I'm waiting to hold judgment. Like a lot of times I'll have a hot take and I'll do it in the store where I'm just like kind of going off on, on hot takes, but it's just more like a, a persona. If I was being honest with myself, I don't think I want the one ring banned personally because as much as it seems like it's adding homogeneity to the format, I kind of feel like it's adding a little bit more variety. Like seeing a deck like Scape Shift come back, Is really nice. Being able to play Tron again, like realistically, because like Tron has been really bad, even with Karn, is really nice. What do you think, Tommy? All right. You won't make
1: hot takes. I'll make a hot take in your place. Hear me out. They restrict the one ring for Modern and then ban Karn. So then everyone's on an even playing field. It'll be the only restricted card. And then you can only play one, the one ring.
2: As a flavor, that'd be amazing. But man, if they banned Great Creator in Modern, I would be really upset. I think Tron would be like legitimately unplayable. I mean, I'm not just me, but all the Tron players online are cutting Karn Liberated, and they're playing like what two copies now at most. I'm playing like no copies in this list. I'm playing for the Nerd Rage event next week, and that's kind of sad to me. Going back like ten years, where like Karn four of. Was like the thing. You never cut it. You never sideboard it out. It's always good. Uh, strip mining your opponent on turn 3 felt like the best thing ever. Now it's average at best. And it's only really good in the mirror match. But like if we're talking the mirror match. Tron versus Tron. Like tier 2 deck versus tier 2 deck. Whatever. If the one ring doesn't make Tron better. And they ban Karn. Uh, I'm dropping the deck. I'm going to go play Living End with uh, with Frank. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well I,
0: I just have feelings about karn Mora from pioneer and so whenever you guys are like karn i'm just like i'm going to close my ears because yeah. I, can't, I
2: can't stand mono green hey yeah, that's a good point man it's a mono green ram deck you're playing nyctos which i think is fair and i don't want them to get rid of nyctos i agree but if the best thing you can do with infinite green mana is couple this stuff with karn's a great creator maybe there's a problem there And there is something to be said about, like, recto Sacrifice and some other mechanics that are probably invalidated because Karn exists. I don't play enough Pioneer at a high level to say for sure, but I have to imagine there's a lot of artifact archetypes that are like, this deck would be maybe playable, maybe, but definitely not because Karn exists, and now your whole deck is invalidated. Yeah, and I more
0: have a bigger problem with the card because of the ability right to have a deck that has the ability if it goes off to put 30 power on the board ish on turn three that's really really great but it also has the ability to be like oh well i'm also playing karn so i have a toolbox to try and mess up what you're doing Mm -hmm. as well like those two things shouldn't work together the deck would still be very viable it would just go beat down if we got rid of karn and wouldn't give it the ability to interact with other decks on, like, an insane level like it does now.
2: Yeah, it is pretty annoying for the Pioneer players. I mean, personally, if, if it were up to me, I'd probably just, like, ban the Chain Veil so they don't have access, like, combos as well. Where, yeah. Like, they got rid of Mycosynthletus for us in Tron in Modern. But, um, not to stay on Pioneer for too long, but yeah, it is kind of an issue. Card Creator is extremely powerful. If it ever got banned in Modern, it would be pretty reasonable. But for sure in Pioneer, I mean... People have been talking about murmurings of like bands coming up. There hasn't been a band since well, Expressive Iteration. Yeah, there hasn't been a modern band since I even Yorian. Yorian. Oh yeah, Yorian. Yorian. Yeah, that's not a real card. Right. Exactly. And that does not count i agree they need to get rid of that whole mechanic <laughs> that whole mechanic needs to be gone and they need to give us back lyrus so i can play it in my traverse shadow see Yorion wasn't the
0: problem i don't i agree with you that i don't think Yorion is actually a card however because of Yorion, it was a ton of elemental piles that were like we're just going to play a Four four Solitudes and four Furies and three Endurance and a, a subtlety, because why not? And then my dork decks were just getting destroyed because every deck can have Fury. Mm-hmm. That was more of why I was excited about Yorian
2: leaving the format, not because like it's a really great card. Yeah. I mean, hey, as a Tron player who didn't play against any Evoke Avalanche Riders, I was kind of excited to play against a bunch of Yorian piles all day. <laughs> Anything
0: else on like bands or, you know, decks that you feel like are really gonna,
1: people should be looking out for, people should be playing at their LGS.
0: Anything else on that?
1: I mean, I think both of you guys are pretty locked on what decks you guys are playing, like Tron and Living End. I mean, for me, I think I'm probably gonna stick with the four color deck for a little bit, but these scam lists are definitely very tempting. Definitely have to mess around with that. I think it's probably worth at least investigating some more like unconventional sideboard options if you're worried about the ring like we might even see terra sunder start popping up in modern a little bit but unless especially at the lg level lgs level unless everybody starts to show up with it like you kind of gotta kind of gotta let the twitter hype machine just run its course and just remember that moto stuff moves very fast and just because you see you know x number of copies of it in the top eight of a challenge doesn't necessarily mean that next thursday frank's going to be rolling up with his play set of rings and is gonna be jamming ring mirror matches all night.
2: Yeah, that sounds like a nightmare, but thank you though. <laughs>
1: that's
2: a good point though. I do think Tommy's right. It's gonna come down to sideboards, that's always as always for modern. It's just gonna be sideboards. Chalice of the Void is probably super high right now. Engineer Explosives feels really, really good right now. Ways to deal with the one ring might not even matter if your deck can just stick to the game plan. Right. That's why I live again. One small thing
1: that we didn't mention when we were specifically talking about the ring that I should point out, because of the way the card works, if you play scared, it's going to bury you. If you have a way to interact with it, wait for them to tap it and then remove it in response, because once it resolves, it'll look at how many counters were on it. So if you remove it in response, it'll see zero counters and won't draw them a card. If you go crazy, try to get rid of it right away, then they can tap it in response and still replace itself.
2: Yeah, it goes back to what I said earlier against Rakdos. Be patient. I mean, as always, modern is a fast format. You're gonna have time to finish your games out, even if you're playing blue white control. Just slow the game down, really make good decisions. And if you're gonna remove the ring, just remember it isn't destructible. You have to exile it or bounce it.
0: Yeah, I tried force-figuring it before I like read the card. Oh, and no. of course, reading the card explains the card, but I was like, oh. I have no answers in my sideboard for this. Yeah.
2: Good. Listen, we all play the game like Yu Gi Oh! TV show, no text on cards. If a card has more than two paragraphs, My eyes gloss over. I'm not reading it. You tell me what it does. (laughs) And it's only getting worse. Every card they print now has at least
0: three lines of text.
2: Honestly, I make fun of it, but I really love that. Like, I was talking to somebody in the shop, and a customer came in and told me that since Strixhaven rotated, there are no more vanilla creatures in standard. And I was like, wait, what? So I looked it up Uh because I didn't believe them, which you know, kind of rude, but I just was so shocked by it. I looked it up, I was like, wow, you're right. There's like no vanilla creatures anymore. And that's like a testament to how good these limited formants have been that kind of every card has a little bit of play but it also makes the game that much more complicated kind of harder for new players but that is the benefit of having an lgs you know you come meet some people we'll help you out we'll teach you listen to a podcast you know maybe subscribe to their patreon get some good technology um but yeah that's like magic is just so connected now you might as well just start connecting with people and learning together because these cards are getting more and more complicated and that's Honestly, a good thing. It's way more fun to play with cards that have paragraphs than what we were doing 10 years ago where Tarmogoyf was a $250 card.
0: Yeah, and I think as well, right, at least from a limited perspective, the ability to have, you know, you're not playing a 4-4 for four four Mm -hmm. anymore. Like that, especially that really, really came into perspective. And I've been playing limited formats very consistently since... Midnight Hunt, Mm -hmm. and then played Limited before that. But really, when we did Dominaria Remastered, and it was like, oh, look at all these cards that are just vanilla bodies
2: that happen to be the best card I can put in my deck. Agreed. That really solidified it for me. When we played Dominaria Remastered, it wasn't like a really bad draft format because there was some fun archetypes in there. Agreed. But when we played with some of these really, really bad cards or really just old creatures that just didn't hit the level, I was just... I was mad. I was like, why is my best guy like a 5-mana 2-2, two, two, like just so terrible, or an 11-mana bounce all my guys, and uh, I just want to say, if I'm going to play a four, 4 4 4 it better have haste and vigilance, and it also deals damage to planeswalkers, and damage can't be prevented, etc.
0: Yeah, I remember having one red creature that I believe was a 2-1 double strike, and it was like an uncommon, it was, and I was like, this card sucks, <laughs> Awesome. So, you know, Stan, you have been right a shop owner for a while, but this is kind of your unretiring coming back to competitive play. And and you know, I, of course, am very excited for you to be on the team playing modern for us. But tell me a little bit about this trios event and, and your
2: thoughts on coming back. Well, I just got tired of Tommy beating up on me at Modern every uh, week. So I was like, I got to start actually practicing again. To be real, though, being a shop owner is a lot of work. Obviously, running any small business is a lot of work. And I mean, you guys even just running your like normal nine to five job. It's a lot of work, you know, finding time to exercise, finding time to stay involved in magic, finding time to uh, be with your family, your wives, etc. is really time consuming. So for myself, it was either support and you know, help people facilitate their gameplay. Hey guys, come here. I'll show you who to play with. I'll get you involved in tournaments. I got you with the EDH pods. I'm going to step aside so I can help other people. It's, It's really rewarding. It is so fun to get people playing Magic and show them the love of the game. I've been playing for like 15 years now. I love Magic. I've been playing since middle school, high school. It's always been one of my favorite games, if not my actual favorite game. And so... When you asked me to join your team, I was really excited because, one, I've been itching to kind of come back anyway, and two, I have a little bit more free time now. I can actually practice. Mana Traders has made it really easy to play moto a lot, which is nice. I mean, I used to do it before, but, you know, just the ability to rent a deck, not play it, log into a league at one in the morning, go to bed late, really responsible, but um, it's just fun, and I want to play more competitive magic, so it was was exciting for me. I was glad you asked because doing uh even just doing this podcast with you now is just really fun so i'm i'm excited to be back and i'm excited to brew again because i've got some hot tech in my tron deck that i'm hoping i don't get stomped on and look really dumb over yeah and one of the things i don't think i've told
0: you specifically but that's part of what got me into playing magic competitively again i took like a 10-year break as you know played standard like at lgs's but always wanted to go to team events and play in 10ks and try and make RCs. I know it was like PPTQ, whatever back mm. then, but I was barely involved. But you were always so helpful with helping me make sideboard guides or prep decks or playtest. that this store gave me the vibes of like the store that I grew up in. And is part of why this podcast happens here, part of why I stay so active is because you have done a really good job at that. And I'm really excited for this second shot at Team Trios. And by the way, if you don't know what Team Trios is, it is we're playing as a team, Pioneer, Modern, Legacy. To win the round, two of the three of you have to win. For example, if Stan won in Modern and Kai won in Legacy, we could stop playing the Pioneer game because two of three were won. And so it's a little bit of, I like it a lot because it stays... Competitive, but also feels a little bit like team sports in the sense where, oh man, it's not all on me to like get this invite.
2: Yeah. Honestly, team trios is revolutionary. I remember when they first started doing it and it got popularized. I was so excited because, one, like you said, you don't have to feel overwhelmed. You're going to go to a tournament. And I remember one time I went to a Star City Games Open and I was playing Tron. Of course, and four of my first five opponents were mainboarding Blood Moon in a not Blood Moon deck. So I go round one, Affinity, mainboards Blood Moon, uh, round two, Jund, and it was the Pro Tour Fetch for Basic Lands, Blood Moon Jund, which is normally a good matchup, lose, lose. And then finally I get to round five and I play against Sun and Moon, which is also a Blood Moon deck, but it's not a deck. So that was my first win of the day. And you just can't help the variance sometimes. So if you're playing a deck and you're play testing, and you're like, well, I've got these like nine out of ten top decks down. I feel really comfortable. If I, get, if I play against this fringe deck or if I play against Burn and I'm a slow deck mm-hmm. or if I play against Control and I'm a mid-range deck... It happens, I'll try to grind it out, but at least I got my partners playing their matchups. And in theory, that should reduce variance in a way where all three of you guys can't be playing against a fringe deck. It's it's statistically unlikely, but if it happens, it happens. And honestly, it's just a lot more fun to have the camaraderie and be playing with your friends, like just hanging out. Some of my favorite memories of tournaments were with Jarrett and Josh and all these other guys just going to team events, grinding. Hey, you remember that story? Yes, of course the team event. I remember that story. You remember the story from the singles event? Not so much unless I met some friends. Yeah. And I can even say, right. The last one that I went to
0: was in October where we were on Rectos Midrange and Pioneer, Mill and Modern and Rakdos Goblins, which like looking back, I was like, wow, two of our three decks were very fringe, but I just had a blast going. Like even losing was like, Whatever. It was just a ton of fun. And so, yeah, I'm really excited for your unretiring. I am very hopeful for this weekend that
2: we are at least going to have a better showing than I did on my first one. Yeah, and big thank you to Tommy for helping us test and also lending me wonderings if they show up in the mail. Yeah, <laughs> living on a prayer for that one.
1: Also, you're welcome that I'm busy that weekend.
2: <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's true. Tommy could have been playing in that seat. But um, no, for real, I I do appreciate all the help you guys uh, provided. People like Tommy and uh, Kai and all these guys coming to play test. It's hard for me to get out to go play test because I'm stuck at the shop. So I sent the bat signal out and everybody showed up on Saturday and we were grinding out matches. Todd came out, pulled out the suitcase with like every modern deck. We're like getting it done. Yeah, that's awesome. To wrap the show up, a big
0: shout out to uh, MTG Chicago who posts all of my matches online. Thank you to Boris Hack Gaming for letting us record at the shop. Shout out to Nancy Steroids for doing our intro and outro music. And thank you to both of you for coming to be on the show. Really appreciate having you both and your input on mod. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Anyway, till next time, please keep listening to our episodes and see you on the next episode for Trigger on the Stack.